There's so many things I, I want to talk to you about, but one of the things that I was curious about, because I've been thinking a lot about this in my life, is this idea of our whys evolving. Mm -hmm. What is your why and has it evolved over the last decade at all? Uh, so my why <clears throat> is to inspire people to do the things that inspire them. So together, each of us can change our world for the better. And it's why I wake up every morning, every day. It is the greatest compliment someone can pay me when they say to me, that was inspiring or you were inspiring, like that feeds me, you know? Um, and the interesting thing about a why is because it is not, it is objective. A why is the sum total of how we were raised. It's born out of the patterns and the lessons we learn from our parents, from our teachers when we're young. And our why is fully formed by the time we're in our mid to late teens. And you only have one why for the rest of your life. It doesn't change. You, you are who you are based on how you were raised. Now, you may not be acting as your true self. You know, people say that to us all the time, you know. It's like, I don't know who you are anymore, you know. But when you are at your natural best, your why is front and center. But we're not always acting at our natural best. And sometimes we make decisions out of selfishness. We take, we take the job that pays us, that offers us the most money and turn down the one to work for somebody who would probably be a better mentor. You know, we do these things all the time. And so, you know, can you tweak the words of your why? Of course, you know, but that's, that's semantics. Um, can we find better ways to, to bring a why to life? Yes, that's the evolution. But the why itself is fixed. When you talk about the why being influenced by the things that happened in our life, our experiences, mm -hmm. our upbringing, does that mean that our trauma can influence our why for better or for worse? Always for better. Always for better. Yeah, a why is always positive. Um, uh, and I'll and I'll give you a real life example of somebody's why discovery that I did. And you know, one of the things I do when I do somebody's why discovery, I ask them about you know happy experiences when they were kids. And this person said, uh, I didn't have a very happy childhood. I had a really bad childhood. And I said, okay, so tell me a tell me a bad memory then, you know. And t she talked about a lot of abuse in the household and a very abusive alcoholic father who would beat her mother and the kids. And she told a story of a repeated pattern of when the father would be drunk and come looking for the kids, that she'd be hiding in the cupboard, protecting her brother with her arms wrapped around him so that, to shield her brother. And she goes through this whole story. And at the end, I pointed out to her that she's a protector, that in, the, in these traumatic experiences, it was her instinct to, to protect her baby brother. And she's lived her life. If you look at all of the times that she's really thrived and where she's her, her best self, she's usually in a, in a, in a position of protection of other, of other people. And that's where she finds joy in taking care of other people. And so the, the experiences mold us into who we are um, and the effects, you know, the impact will be positive regardless of where it comes from. So yeah, I mean, a horrible childhood that made her a wonderful human being. I was going to use me as an example there to try and rebuttal that somewhat. But I remember having a very similar conversation with a very good friend of mine a week ago upstairs who mm -hmm. talked to me about their childhood. They're, they've talked about this publicly as well, so I'm not letting the cat out of the, out of the bag. But their, their father used to beat their mother up mm. really, really severely. And she was mm. telling me literally just a few days ago upstairs that she, her, her memories of trying to hold onto her dad's arm as it swung for her mother when she was five years old. And when you look at the pattern of what those early experiences have caused and a few other experiences, she's obsessed with, mm. with 
with helping others mm-hmm. and she's you know building these amazing businesses she's unbelievably successful mm-hmm. it's like frighteningly successful mm-hmm. at a very very young age however mm-hmm. that force in her to help others mm-hmm. has meant that she's compromised sometimes helping herself mm-hmm. and of everyone i know in my life she is the most successful woman i know but she's also the woman that is most unsuccessful in all of the personal aspects mm-hmm relationships, Mm -hmm. boyfriend, uh, mental health, Mm -hmm. all of these things. Mm -hmm. So when we say, you know, I understand the positive side of it, but Mm -hmm. the negative side of it seems to be um, of this unbelievable, I guess, why she's got seems to just honestly for me, not be worth it. Mm Cause this is not, a, this is not someone that is, would, would say they are, they're happy. This is someone that is in therapy and is every day mm-hmm. in tears and upset while mm-hmm. serving the world in an unbelievable way. So is that a positive? Is that a, a positive why? So, so the, the, the rub about the why, you know, a, a why is basically the thing we give to the world. It's the value we have in other people's lives. Her friends would say of her that she is our protector. Um, you know, uh, that is the role we fill in their lives, which is why they love us because we're, we're giving them our why. It is our value. The rub the most difficult thing about the why to understand is the, th- the thing that we give to, wor- to the world is also the thing that we need the most. It's, it's always balanced. Mm. And so I would argue that, you know, she, she, it's not that she's unable to take care of herself. It's that she needs to find friends, colleagues, whatever it is, who are committed to taking care of her. And that's where the change happens. And, you know, we were talking about this, you know, before the show started, you know, there's an entire section in the bookshop called self-help and there's no section in the bookshop called help others. And I believe what we need is the help others industry. Um, I'll tell you uh, something, uh, uh, something that happened to me. A friend of mine was going through a really rough patch in her life. Um, her marriage was struggling. Her career was struggling. She was unhappy. Like just none of the boxes were getting checked, you know? And she knows what I do. I mean, we've been friends for forever. And she asked a favor, can you help me? You know, of course, of course, I said. And every week we had a standing 90-minute meeting where we'd, she'd come over and she would tell me what's going on. And I would give her some advice and I'd point out some patterns. And she'd feel fantastic. She would leave on a high and she'd feel amazing for like two days. And then it would go right back again. And she'd come back the following week. And this went on for months, two days, three days, and then back down again, right? And then it occurred to me, like I remember my own work. <laughs> in Leaders Eat Last, I talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, where they have 12 steps to help an alcoholic beat this disease. Um, and Alcoholics Anonymous knows that if you master 11 of the 12 steps, you're, you're going to probably slide back and succumb to the disease. But if you can master the 12th step as well, you will more likely beat the disease. The 12th step is to help another alcoholic. It's service. And so... I remembered my own work and I decided to do a little, I decided to change things up, right? And so I said to her, look, I love that you come and see me every week and I love helping you every week. But you know, I struggle with things too and I don't have anybody to talk to. Would you be willing to help me? Maybe we can split the time. And she said, of course, yes. And what started to happen is every week we got together and I would, and it was genuine. I wasn't faking it. Like I would unload and tell her what I was going through and what I was struggling with. And it ended up, that we wouldn't split the time. It ended up that she would we'd spend 90 minutes talking about my stuff, right? And she was the advice giver and she was the one looking for the patterns and she would leave on a high and that high would stay until the following week. 
It was only when we reversed the scenario where that she was had the opportunity to take care of someone she loved that she was able to find the solutions to her own challenges. And I'm a great believer that that we're, we have to remember we're social animals. We need each other. And this is the great paradox of being human. At every moment of every day, we are both individuals and members of groups. You know, and there's a, there's, a, there's a debate. Do you take care of yourself first or do you take care of others first? And there's a whole school of thought that says you have to take care of yourself first because if you're not healthy, you can't take care of others. And there's a whole school of thought that says, no, you have to take care of others first so that when you're in need, they'll be there for you. And the answer is you're both right and you're both wrong. It's a paradox. It's a struggle. And every day we're faced with sometimes big, but often small choices. Do I prioritize myself at the sacrifice of the group or do I prioritize the group at the sacrifice of myself? And, you know, folks like um, uh, uh, Maslow, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Maslow made him a huge mistake in that hierarchy, which is his, his baseline, our, our basic need is food and shelter, right? I've never heard of anyone dying by suicide because they were hungry. I've heard of people dying by suicide because they were lonely, right? And yet social relationships in, in Maslow's hierarchy is number three. But that, can't, that doesn't sound right. It seems like there's something more important to human beings than just food and shelter. And then the top of the peak is self-actualization, which sounds the most selfish thing in the world. Like I am so self-actualized that I would literally sit on top of a pyramid and look down at all of you unactualized people because that's my goal to be self-actualized. He's half right. The mistake that Maslow made, he's the only thought of us as individuals. And as individuals, yes, I need food and shelter first. But as a member of a group, I need friends and I need love. And self-actualization is not the thing I'm actually in pursuit of as a member of a group. It's shared actualization that I'm looking for. And unfortunately, for various reasons, which we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, the past 30, 40 years, especially in the West, we have doubled down on, on, on individualism. We have doubled down on my own career. We've doubled down on how do I find love? How do I find happiness? We've doubled down on selfishness. And it worked for a while. It worked when the economy was really good. Like in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, it's awesome. Selfishness was great because it worked. But now in a complicated, messy world where the economy isn't great and everything's not roses, all that self-interest is now not working. Except we haven't been practicing and developing the school skills of taking care of each other. And that's what we need now more than ever. And so I don't know your friend and so I'm, I can't make any, I'm not, I can't make any conclusions, but we are, we are animals in balance, right? And nature abhor, abhors a vacuum. And so whenever I hear about these things, my question is always about the balance. So for example, every single good thing that happens in our lives, everything comes at a cost. There's nothing for free. Somebody with an incredible career has no relationship with their kids right? Everything comes at a cost. But at the same time, everything we struggle with has opportunity and lesson that goes with it. It's always balanced, right? And so whenever anybody tells me this great thing, I'm always like, yeah, but at what cost? And was the cost worth it? Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. And when something horrible happens in someone's life or something goes sideways, I always ask, but what did you learn? You know, I mean, my career I and mean, yours is the same. You know, the whole... The, Golden Circle and the concept of why came out of me losing my passion and hating work. I, I went through depression. I never want to go through that again, but I'm really glad it happened because it look at what it's, it's given me an entirely new life view. And I think of strengths and weaknesses the same way. You know, I, I think it's hilarious when people say, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Well, it depends. 
Life is balanced and it's always contextual. And everything that we have that's a strength has liability attached. And every weakness we have has strength that's attached. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. <laughs> 